When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Tell It Abs It Is podcast, your home for everything Colorado Avalanche on the Hockey Podcast Network. The Colorado Avalanche have won the Stanley Cup. Raymond Barr, a dream, has come true. Feature the head, McKinnon racing, he shoots, and scores! Nathan McKinnon! President Jim Here's your hosts, Griffin Youngs and Christian Boulay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, Griffin Youngs, joined by Christian Boulay. Christian that was a, a rough one last night, to say the least, against the St. Louis Blues. But before we jump into the, the controversy and the numerous things that came out from the Avalanche's loss to the Blues on Saturday, how are you doing today now that you've had just about a day to, to sleep on it? Oh, Griffin, I wish I could say I was doing better, man. But, uh, yeah, that game last night was, uh, was really, really frustrating. Um, we're, we're going to talk more about it, but yeah, I mean, there was just so many laps on the ab side that it, it was a definitely a winnable game and we kind of, we kind of blew it. Yeah. This felt like it was getting away from us early. We got it back at the end. It was taken right out of our hands, but I gotta say, I'm, I'm a little glad we've had a, a day to, to think about it, to sleep on it a little bit first. You know, I, I woke up this morning. It's a nice, brisk, beautiful day here in Maryland. This is my perfect weather. The sun's out. It's a nice 60 degrees, and it smells like smoke a little bit. Everyone's got the fireplaces going for the first time. It reminds me that everything is okay. And this result, frustrating as it was, was not the end of the world. No, definitely not the end of the world, but I, I guess we're just spoiled as Avs fans that it's weird to see uh, the Avalanche kind of kind of blow a game. But yeah, I mean, speaking for weather, it's it's like seventy five degrees here in Denver. You must be you must be lucky over there, man. I, I'm not a fan of this heat. I had to turn the air conditioning back on for the first time in a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I shut mine off today and I just opened up the windows, let all because I I love this weather. I lo- I can let this into my house all day long. I love this kind of stuff. It's the best, man. No, nothing better than wearing a hoodie and shorts. Can't beat it. But yeah, the Avs last night. It was it was a uh, it was an interesting game. I think we can dive right into it. Uh, the Avs looked like they had tied it on a Tyson Jost goal four to four, but after review, it was determined there was a kicking motion, and the goal was disallowed. What what were your thoughts on the play? So watching the play initially on TV. Jost is blocked by Bennington. You can't see anything with him. All you see is players celebrating, and you think the game's tied. 
you watch it back on replay and I got to be honest, there's not much here with this right away this season on the first day, the Vegas golden Knights and Seattle Kraken had a similar controversy where Chandler Stevenson, let's be real, kicked the puck into the net. That goal should not have counted, but it did. It was determined. He redirected the puck with his skates, didn't kick it. So the goal stood Vegas won that game a day later, or I guess two days later, the Ottawa Senators played the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I don't remember who scored this goal, but he kicked the puck into the net. You know, up for interpretation, I understand that, but a precedent had been set in the first three days of the season that it takes a lot to classify something as a kick, kicking a puck into the net. And when you look at this one from Tyson Jost, I'd argue this is the least egregious of the three. And it's the only one that did not count. And it's infuriating to say the least. We'll talk more in detail about everything leading up to this moment, but we've got to get this out of the way first. Like you said, the avalanche were down big in this one down four to one in the third period. They're battling back. They're shorthanded. They're missing so many important players, which we'll talk about. And they battle all the way back with some greasy, greasy goals and they deserve to get a point out of this one. And it was unfortunately taken out of their hands. And I just, for the life of me, cannot understand this league. All we want from this league is consistency. If the Chandler Stevenson goal didn't count and the Ottawa goal didn't count and this one didn't count, my tune would be completely different right now because what I cannot stand is when precedents are broken for no reason. We set the precedent not even a week ago. The season hasn't even been going on for a week. This is the third time already that that kind of play counts. But the fact that this was the only one that didn't count drives me insane. And it feels like for a lack of better term, we got cheated out of a point here because we deserved to get it based on everything else that has happened in the league before this game. That goal should have counted. This game should have been tied 4-4. This game should have gone to overtime and we should have had the right to either win it or lose it in overtime and get at least a point out of it. But unfortunately, it was taken out of our hands. Yeah, I was I was at the game last night. I'm on the attack one side. So the play was going down on the other end of the ice. And from my vantage point, I, I didn't even really see what happened. I just saw Joe's reaction, which we got to talk about that somersault after the goal. That was a, a feat of athleticism. I don't Impressive. think on uh, ice skates. That's a braver yeah, guy than me. Yeah, I don't think that'll ever be accomplished again. But then when I was in the arena, they only showed the replay after the puck had crossed the line. And they did that like two or three times. So it made it seem like it was a goal. And I didn't get to see that until I got home and I, I, I could make the argument. Now we both are very biased abs fans. Um, Perenko, I think was the defender. He's pushing down Tyson Jost. So as he's trying to keep his balance, his foot slides and I can see how you say it's a kicking motion, but when you're getting checked in the back, what else are you supposed to do? If you, if you don't want to fall flat on your face. Um, but I couldn't agree with you more. The league is, that's probably the most frustrating thing about the NHL is they they set these precedents and then they just go back on them. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's just 
you never know what call you're going to get when it comes out of Toronto. So I, I watched the Chandler Stevenson goal live and the announcers made it seem like he was just a smart player for turning his skate that way and having the puck direct off of him. I, I think that's more of an egregious kicking motion than what Joe's did. Um, but yeah, it was definitely frustrating. It definitely took the air out of the arena because when that goal went in, I have never heard ball arena that loud for a regular season game. It was an unreal comeback and you just killed all the momentum right after that. Yeah. And it's, it sucks to happen. I completely understand having the air taken out of the building. I I was sitting here at home being like, well, that's it. We're not going to get another one here. I've never, I've never seen a team have a goal taken away like that and then come back to score another one within four minutes while they're trying to come back. It, it just doesn't happen. It takes all the momentum completely out of the building. And the most frustrating part is like I was saying, all we want is consistency. That's it. I don't want rules to just be up for interpretation every single night. Cause we, we don't know what any of the rules are. We don't know what a kicking motion is anymore because based on this last week alone, the rule has seemingly completely changed. We don't know what goalie interference is. There's this supposed crackdown on cross-checking, which we saw a couple times last night, that I guarantee by the time the playoffs roll around, that crackdown is going to evaporate into dust and it's going to be non-existent. So this, everything in the league, all of the rules, all of the penalties are up to the interpretation of the refs. And I'm sure this is not going to be the last time we talk about it here. And it's something that everyone has talked about a lot in the past. That's ridiculous. There needs to be some level of consistency here because it leads to to frustration like this. If the Chandler Stevenson goal counted and the Ottawa goal counted two days later, why does this one not count? Because like you were saying, there wasn't really much Jost could do there to keep his balance while Pareka was bearing down on him. And you can argue that he kicked the puck, if he kicked it at all, to his other skate that was just standing there, and then it went in. So And it deflected in. So and then hey, it deflected in. So the therefore, he didn't kick it in. So you have two different situations within two seconds where you can argue that's not a kicking motion. That should be a good goal. While meanwhile, you had the two plays before where you're like, those are very much kicking motions that counted. So the whole thing is just beyond frustrating. All we want is just a crumb of consistency. I want to know when I watch a game and something like that happens, what is the rule? Because if that is a is that if that is a clearly defined kicking motion based on the rules of the league and it doesn't count, that's fine. If it's not and it counts, great. All I want is consistency. I'm I feel like I'm more mad at the fact that I just feel like we in particular are getting screwed here than the fact that the goal got taken away. Yeah, I was. I'm still just. Still just trying to process it, honestly. I, I know it sounds cliche for a regular season game to be this frustrated about it, but I am. I'm just that competitive. I want to see the Avs win. And with that lineup we were throwing out there last night, it, it would have been nice for those guys' confidence to prove that they can, they can compete in these games and they can win these games. But it, it's, just, uh, it's just a failure on the league's part, once again, just to have any form of consistency. And like you said, it's just really frustrating to be a fan of 
yeah, like you just, you just don't know what the rules are going into each game and what are you supposed to do at a certain point? This a situation like that happens, you need a clearly defined rule and none of us know what it is. Nope. Oh, hang on. My dog, my, my Thai food just got here. You can hear her crying. All right. We're good. Sorry about that folks. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. It, it's one of those games where I, I feel like the abs deserved a point out of it. They fought hard. And honestly, after the first 10 minutes of the game, I don't know if you'll feel the same way. I, I thought they played a pretty decent game. Like I, I thought the abs as a whole played a pretty decent game. Um, obviously when you're missing McKinnon, Landeskog, Val Nachushkin, I mean, you're missing a, three of your top six forwards, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle, but I, I thought they played pretty well from about 10 minutes left in the second period to the end of the game. Yeah, I would certainly agree. I mean, it was a, it was a valiant effort from a team that just feels cursed sometimes. And we come into this game, we talked about it last episode, already the things that we have to deal with and it only got worse since then because we knew McKinnon was probably not going to be there. It was 50, 50 and turns out he wasn't like we knew Landis was not going to be there. We knew Taze was not going to be there. We knew Bednar would be back, but now you add to that list Val Nachushkin, who is week to week with something we didn't even know existed until a day before the game. And then can't believe I'm saying this. Our depth was hurt by Jack Johnson not being there because he went into to COVID protocol. And as I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, once we get into the nitty gritty of this game, we missed him based on his replacement. Uh, we missed Jack Johnson in this game and could have gotten a much more favorable result had he been there. And something that got kind of lost is uh, poor Stefan Mato, who was called up to play in this game, goes down he got a total of five minutes on ice, I think, and he's going to miss a significant amount of time. Like it is game two, game two of this. This was not even game two. We were leading into game two of the season and we're already talking about, oh, Stefan Mateau and Dylan Sakura and Curtis McDermott already had to step in. We are reaching into the barrels of our depth for the second game of the season. Like, do you see what I'm talking about now here? Everybody with the, just the curse that this team is seemingly under that we just can't be healthy. Not saying this team is injury prone or anything like that. That's actually, that's actually one of my biggest pet peeves in sports is when people call somebody injury prone. I just feel like that dehumanizes them a lot, but this team just feels cursed and I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not saying it's anyone's fault or anyone's failure, but it's just so frustrating. It's the second game of the year. This is the time where everybody's healthy and it's not just us. The the whole league has been taking their lumps recently, but we're already talking about, we're going up against the blues as underdogs because of all the guys we have out already. And I don't know how you feel about it, but just can we ever ice a healthy lineup? Um, I think the last time we iced a healthy lineup, probably the closest we had was game one in the bubble against Arizona, probably the healthiest we've been. Um, it's I'm starting to agree with you more and more about the curse because the more and more we talk, the more and more I, I kind of believe it. But it, it was it was kind of hilarious. We went into the game last night with 17 skaters dressed. Yeah. Like 
like that's not even a, entirely because we just don't have the time. Line. Yeah, it's not even a full lineup. And then Mateau gets hurt, so one of your eleven forwards is already down. So you're playing with ten forwards the rest of the game, <laughs> and somehow, some way, this team found a way to seemingly tie the game, and it got taken away. But it's it's really frustrating because you're so close to the cap and this is, I know other teams have gone through it. I know Vegas went through it last year. I think we played them in a game where they only dressed like 18 skaters um, last year, but it's really, really frustrating. And I, I don't know who has the, the voodoo doll with the avalanche and is poking at them, but they need to turn that in so we can uh, hopefully get some health and get through this rough stretch of the season that we have. Yeah, it's just so absolutely brutal because I cannot stress enough that this is game two. You know, you go through the course of an 82-game season, probably most teams are going to have to deal with this at some point. The Avalanche had to deal with it at several points last year, to my point, but there were certain instances where the Capitals had to deal with it very early in the season. Vegas, as you said, had to own, could had to voluntarily keep like two players off the ice because of cap issues towards the end of the year. A lot of teams are going to suffer through injuries, but this is the second game of the season. And I just can't believe that it's already happening. I thought we'd at least have a couple games where we could see our top line out and firing with McKinnon and Landeskog and Rantanen. But the second I saw the Taze thing a couple weeks ago, I'm like, here we go. I put my, I just put my fingers on my temples. I'm like, we're doing this already. We're already not even at rookie camp and we're not even going to be able to dress a healthy lineup for the first game of the year. And I warned at the time that by the time Taze comes back, that does not mean the roster is going to be fully healthy because there are going to be other people that go down before that. But what are you supposed to do at a certain point other than just hope for the best I think that's honestly all we can do right now is hope for the best because there's really new hook got sent down his confidence you could tell was shot and he I agree with that move but you can't bring up a Bowers you can't bring up a Cout I, I don't know why it's something to do with the cap is what I read somewhere um because those are the young guys we were counting on at the beginning of the year they had to fill those voids of the depth that we we're going to be missing this year when you lose a Don Scoy and a Sod um, and a Calvert and a PEB. Like it's, it's a lot to lose and we haven't seen it so far. Granted it's only two games in, but I, I think honestly right now, the best thing we can do is just kind of keep our fingers crossed that no one else gets hurt tomorrow or Tuesday night. And hopefully McKinnon's back on Wednesday. I think that's really our only hope right now. Cause I, I don't have any answers for it right now. Yeah, and you look at the the updates that they gave today. It's a little better, but it's not getting entirely better either. I mean, it looks like Taze is going to travel with the team, could play in Florida against either the Panthers or the Lightning. Again, that's still a maybe right now. Uh, Jack Johnson tested negative, so he is going to be traveling with the team. So hopefully against Washington, we won't have to have Curtis McDermott back in the lineup, which we will get to have no fear. We will be talking about Curtis McDermott in a little bit, but the biggest news is that McKinnon is not going to be back against Washington and he is not going to be traveling 
with the team, at least not initially. Maybe he comes back for one of those later games, but until he tests negative, there's just simply nothing anyone can do at this point. So we're going to be going very least for the first three games of the season without McKinnon. And it's going to be an interesting matchup against Washington and especially without him. And we just don't know about Florida or Tampa, but the fact that he's not traveling and still no negative test, it just only adds to the concern. And the report initially was that he's asymptomatic. So I don't think we have to worry about too much with that, but just time just seems to be added onto this more and more. Yeah, I think he's going to end up going the full 14 days, if I'm being honest with you. I think it's going to be the full 14 days before we see him, which if you've listened these past couple of weeks, we talked about how brutal the Avs schedule was to start the season. And you need every player here. Um, the Capitals, I know they lost to the Lightning on uh, Saturday, but that was a close game. They lost an OT, if I'm right, if I remember right. Yep, like 14 uh, seconds left. Yeah, the Capitals are a good team. Uh, You go to Florida and the Panthers have looked like a wagon to start the year. They have looked fantastic. Um, And then you go, I know the lightning are struggling, but it's still the two time defending champion Stanley cup. They, they found ways to win the last two games, found ways to win. And that's going to be a tough game no matter what. So, and you still have the threat of Jojo playing in one of these three games. So I, I, I'm sorry, man. Oh my God. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But that's that's honestly what it's it's what's looking like, man. So this is this is going to be a really, really tough stretch for the abs. Um, We need McKinnon back. Obviously, when Landis God comes back, that's going to help. But it is it is scary times to start the year for sure. You know, and if I if I can spin this positively, if I somehow can, is that if there is any time to put your team through adversity in the regular season, It's now it's early on. You set the tempo early on. This season is not going to be easy. Do not get complacent. It's a long journey ahead of us. We're going to have to start it without our superstar carrying us and without our captain and without one of our safety blankets and Tays on the top pair. And like you just said, there's probably going to have to be a time where we're not going to have Darcy Kemper and that we're going to have to rely on our third string on top of all of that. So it's going to have to teach some lessons early on to suffer through some adversity, battle through it. The results, if we're being real this early on, don't matter all that much. Every game matters. I don't want to be like, ah, it's regular season doesn't matter because it does matter a little bit, but at the end of the season, this team still is going to win the division. I still wholeheartedly believe that I have nothing that has changed my mind at all. If anything that has been strengthened. So even if they come up short in these games and the avalanche are coming out of their first five games below 500 and they're still, they still have a shot in these games. I'm not saying that they're just penciled in losses, but they're going to be hard and they're going to have to battle really hard in these games. So it's going to have to set a tempo early on. And that's not entirely a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. And if we're, we're looking for positive things, I, I, like I said earlier, I think the abs, at about the 10-minute mark in the second period, they were the better team. Yeah. So even shorthanded, I, I thought they were the better team. They had majority of the chances. I'll give – I'm going to say something nice about Jordan Bennington, and I hate doing that because I fucking hate the guy. He played really well last night. He did. He made he, he made a couple really saves good. on – he made a couple saves on Miko that kind of dropped my jaw a little bit. That one on the power play where Miko ripped a slap shot 
and Bennington just got across and flashed his glove. That was a fantastic save. Um, so there are some positives, but it's really it's a really small positive window because you know um, that you just don't have the high end talent that you usually do in your forward group, and you're going to need to rely on your defenseman a lot more to play well, and you're going to need your goaltender to play well. And I'm sure we can talk about this now. Darcy Kemper was was not great last night. He he had a great first game, but I thought last night he he wasn't great. I mean, the one goal he gave up to Shin, I mean, that's obviously Curtis McDermott's fault. But, I mean, you needed a big save from him, and he, he couldn't deliver. I'm not saying he should have made all those saves, but you need him to make those saves if you're going to win those games shorthanded. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I tend to be a goalie apologist more often than not. I always try to give the benefit of the doubt to the goaltender wherever I can. But watching this game, those are some clean shots that Kemper got beat by. They were the Justin Falk goal, the first one. I mean, it felt like just going back to the first 10 minutes, it almost felt like we were side characters in a blue story for a second. The Nazem Kadri fight early on for the fall kit and then Justin Falk scores their first goal of the year that just felt a little too perfect for them but even then on that shot there it didn't really get deflected there wasn't really a screen in front of it I would have liked to have seen a save on it but it's only one I'm not going to complain about it too much the second goal horrible defending we'll talk about McDermott but the, the next two David Perron goals, as good of a shot as they were, I would have liked to see a save on at least one of them because in a situation like this where we are so shorthanded, you're going to need your goalie to steal a game. And an 8.52 save percentage is not going to cut it. And those again, those shots weren't deflected. They weren't really screened. They were snipes. And credit to David Perron for those shots. They were great shots that picked the corner but you need a save on at least one. And if you get at least one, we don't even have the situation with the kicked puck because it's three, three at that point. And then we have the opportunity to win it in overtime. And if we don't, we still get a point out of it. So I don't want to let Kemper off the hook. I'm not going to come out here and say, oh, I'm concerned. We're wrong. I'm not it's that's too reactionary. We're two games into the year. He's had a decent game and a not great game. It comes out to be a little bit in the middle so far with a nine Oh two in his first two games, but you just needed a little more from him. You needed that one more save from him. Yeah, you needed the one more save from him. And it was I, – I agree with you. I'm not trying to say that we should have concerns about him and we need to press the panic button with Darcy Kemper. But I I don't know why. I thought I, – I just expected more from him last night, especially he knew what was going to be needed of him to win that game. And he kind of let himself down. I feel like because you had to know going into that game, I'm sure they talked at morning skate just about how this was going to be a tough game. We're going to need to grind it out. And if I'm sure if you would have told Bednar at the morning skate that your team's going to score three goals, he probably would have been a okay with that, but you can't have your goaltender having eight. What'd you say? Eight, five, two, save percentage yeah, and eight, and eight fifty two. Eight fifty two. Like that's not going to win you very many games. I don't know if that wins you the game if McKinnon and them are playing, honestly, because it's, it's just not very good goaltending. So I'm interested to see if he is in net on Tuesday night, I would assume he will be. Um, And then I think Jojo plays in either Florida or Tampa Bay, but I I'm hoping for a big bounce back game from him. And I'm hoping that you bring Taves in 
And I know that killed you to say, hopefully Jack Johnson comes back and plays, but uh, he played better in his first game than McDermott did. He did. He did. I I think that'll help with the defensive defensive efforts too, because um, I don't know how you feel about, but Kale McCarr still looks like he's shaking off the rust a little bit. I agree. He picked, he picked up a point in this one, which, you know, pretty good. He got a couple shots on goal looking at the box score. It doesn't look that bad, but when you watch him play, it just looks like he's just physically shaking off a little bit of rust. And it it comes with the territory of you didn't play in the preseason. You know, you you look back at the preseason, obviously these guys weren't trying all that much, but guys like McKinnon and Landis didn't look all that great in the preseason. And that's what it's for. You're shaking off that rust. You're getting back up to that competitive speed. And McCarr didn't get to have that luxury. So even then, he still was one of the best players on the ice. We're, our expectations oh, yeah. for McCarr are just so absurdly high and deservedly so. But he looked beneath what he can still be, if that makes any sense. And he's going to get there. But as of right now, still working our way to that point. Yeah, still working his way back. I thought I thought he showed a lot more flashes uh, last night than he did against the Blackhawks. Uh, I'm still waiting for him to just come through with that crazy play along the boards where he just walks walks by someone with a crazy stick handle and sets up a backdoor play. I'm still waiting for that. But like you said, we just have our expectations so high for him that when he doesn't do stuff like that, you kind of go, hmm, is that, that's not like Kale McCarr. That's not like him. Yeah. Um, it's the odds, another, on, odds on favorite for the Norris. You know, was, why isn't he there yet? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, he's still he's still recovering. So I think he just needs to shake off the rust a little bit more. Another player I I'm really hoping can have a big game here coming up soon and tell me how you feel about too. I haven't seen too much from Samuel Gerard that's um that's been too great. I, I worry that his confidence is a little shaken after that Vegas series, and I'm hoping he can burst out of the slump, but I have not seen anything from him that has made me feel super confident about him. Yeah. With Gerard, I'm really not concerned with him. It kind of, it kind of feels like the same as McCarr, just even though he had the preseason, just getting back up to the game speed at this point. I mean, he played 22 minutes last night. McCarr played 26 minutes last night, by the way. I mean, Bednar certainly doesn't feel like he's rusty if he's trusting him that much already. Not that he had much choice, but Gerard was right behind him at 22 minutes and his impacts during the game wasn't great. I would say he picked up the secondary assist on the Burakovsky goal, which was pretty much a Burakovsky driven play. Not much that Gerard did on that. I mean, he just needs to have a little more impact on the game and it's going to get there eventually, you know, Early on in the season, sometimes players take a little longer to get going than others. And, you know, maybe once Taze is healthy and we can pair Gerard with Eric Johnson full time and we get that stability on the defense, he'll start to look a little more comfortable. But as of right now, I've hasn't been perfect, but I think he's going to be just fine. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm wrong about that, but I just haven't seen him really jump up into the play too much this year. And I wonder if that's just because he's worried that he doesn't have that safety blanket of Eric Johnson behind him when knowing that he has that confidence to jump up. Um, but I, I do agree. I think once you get Taves back and you can plug uh, EJ and Sammy G as your second pair, I think we'll, I think we'll see a little bit of an uptick for him, but I, that's just another player I have super high expectations for. So it's really like, 
if he's not getting a point. Like, because he honestly could be a point per game defenseman potentially. Like, he has the offensive potential to do that. Um, so I guess I just have my expectations just a little too high for him. But I just haven't seen the Sammy Gerard we've become used to seeing so far this year. Yeah, and I, th- I think it also comes from we're missing pieces to our lineup, and it can also just expose when one of the stars, like Gerard or McCard, doesn't have a great night because you have to rely on them a lot more. And if they're just they're just not up to it that night, the, the spotlight just gets put on them a little more. So like I was saying, I think once the defense gets a little healthy and you have Taze back and you pair him back with Eric Johnson, I think things will just work out a lot better. I think we're kind of picking on him a little bit because we're missing so many people. Like I said, it puts the the spotlight on him a lot. But speaking of people who had the spotlight put on them because of bad performances last night, I know you have been itching to talk about Curtis McDermott and his performance in his avalanche debut last night. And, you know, we've lumped Jack Johnson and Curtis McDermott into the same category. I don't think you could have two different debuts with the team than those two had through these first two games. Yeah. Curtis McDermott is uh, there's no nice way to put, he's terrible. He's, he's really bad. Um, He's really bad. I, I don't, I think if the abs were, not dressing 17 players. I don't know if he would have played another second after that play he gave up to Braden Chin. Um, watching it live, I, I still don't know how he didn't – he did nothing. He he could have either hooked Braden Chin, he could have tripped him, he could have hit him off the puck, he could have done anything. Instead, he just lets him skate right by him and leaves Darcy out to dry. Um, it, he is bad. He is really, really bad. And I think Raj put it the best way. I saw his tweet when I was at the game. Uh, The Avs got, don't worry, the Avs got a lot tougher. And we traded a draft pick for this guy. And all he's going to be able to provide to this team is fight someone. That's all he's going to be able to provide to this team. And he didn't. He didn't even fight anyone. He didn't hit anyone. He is terrible. That sounds like an exaggeration. He didn't hit anyone. He had zero hits. He's terrible, man. Why is he here? What does this guy do? He adds toughness, Griff. He adds toughness. He he adds the idea of toughness, apparently. He played 10 minutes last night, the the lowest of anybody on the team other than Mateau, who obviously got injured. He played 10 minutes and 23 seconds. Here is his stat line. Minus one, one shot on goal, zero hits, one block. And all this guy knows how to do when the puck is in the offensive zone is just completely waste the possession by taking an unscreened slap shot from the point. And we're lucky if he gets it on that. It's, it's funny because we texted that we were shocked that he got that puck to the net in a straight line. I know exactly what that shot on goal is. It was that unscreened like slap shot from the point that went 20 miles an hour towards Jordan Bennington and the defense on the Braden Shen goal to make it two to nothing. I'm not exaggerating here. That is one of the worst defensive efforts I have ever seen. Not like you see people get burned all the time. Like someone makes a nice move, they get around them and they score a nice goal. It happens. This was, I can't even put into words how bad it was. He did, like you said, nothing. He didn't try to hit him. He didn't go for a poke check. He, Braden Shen, 
who, no offense to Braden Shen, is not Connor McDavid. He just went right around them and just got a breakaway. Like the what? worst thing you at least take a penalty, take a do something. And I, I think Darcy Kemper was literally so caught off guard of how terrible of a defensive play it was that it attributed to the goal because it was one of the worst defensive plays I think you will ever see. And I honestly do believe you're the stat lines show it. If the abs were somewhat healthy and had a full complement of skaters, he would not have played another minute after that. He wouldn't have. I think, because I think I saw that he played five shifts after that. And this was more than like five too many. Yeah. We were still before the halfway point of the second period at this point, five shifts for the rest of the game. This is a guy we paid a draft pick for. Like, I've, I've seen bad players in my time. You know, you, everyone always has that sieve on their defense. Like, ah, this guy sucks, you know. And, like, with the Rangers, it was Jack Johnson last year. You know, I, this is why I wasn't so excited about Jack Johnson when we got him, because I watched him. Even Jack Johnson at his worst was not nearly as bad as this. Mc, Curtis McDermott, this, felt, this feels mean, but, like, he doesn't bring anything to the table. Like I call Ryan Reeves a bum all the time. This guy's a bum on the fourth line, but you look at his stat sheets after the game. He's, he puts up like five to six hits. He's Ryan Reeves. He's a presence on the ice. You know, you have to know when he's on the ice, you have to with Curtis McDermott. He did not lay a single hit. He did not try to fight Braden Shen after he fought Nazem Kadri. He did not try to stand up for his teammate. What did we acquire this guy for? Like, What's the point? What, what was the point of this? And this, this is what we said when it happened. Why? But, and everyone was like, ah, well, it's bringing in a physical presence, bringing in toughness. Vegas exposed Colorado's lack of toughness. And if we had a Curtis McDermott who could put the fear of God into another team, we would have won that series. The only problem is Curtis McDermott doesn't know how to play hockey. And it's something I said a couple episodes ago. How is he going to fight someone if he can't even catch up to them to fight them? They're going to be off the ice by the time he drops his gloves. If you're going to trade for an enforcer, go get a Ryan Reeves. Obviously, he was on the trade market. Like, yeah, I would it, was only, it was only one round higher. I don't like yeah. Ryan Reeves, but I'll take him over Curtis McDermott. Yeah, I would have taken him any second of any day. But we get stuck with good old Curtis McDermott. And I, I really... I'm hoping that we never have to see him play again for the avalanche and I would be okay with it. I, I like, I genuinely don't know how that guy is considered a versatile player that he can play defenseman and forward because if, if he was playing forward, I, I don't even like, I honestly, it, I'd almost feel better about that because he's not the last line of defense. Like maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's too. the reasoning behind it is like, this guy is so bad at defense. Like, that's just such a, that was always such a bizarre thing. Like, oh, McDermott could play forward. I, okay. I, cool. I guess. I mean, McCarr could technically play forward. Doesn't mean he should, but I guess. And now that I said that out loud, that's the thing that makes the most sense. Well, we don't want this guy being the guy between Braden Shen and Darcy Kemper, because that's essentially a guaranteed breakaway. So if you just put him on the wing, maybe you can mitigate the damage he does, but other than that, I legitimately don't know what the point is with this. That was so bad. And 
I, I don't like picking on like one particular player for one particular play, but in this case, there was, there's no other way to put it. That was so unbelievable. That is bench worthy. That is getting cut worthy. I mean, it's not like this is a new thing either. I mean, we were watching this in the preseason going, yeah, this guy's not going to work. I mean, he was getting burned in by guys who are probably playing in the AHL right now. Yeah. Like he is just, he's not good. I would, I'll take, I'll go this far. I would, I would rather have Patrick Nemeth playing defense. Right oh now my God. I would Curtis take McDermott. Nemeth playing top four minutes over yeah. playing Curtis McDermott at all. Curtis yeah. McDermott. I mean, we talk about Darcy Kemper should have made a couple saves here and there. If Curtis McDermott literally just makes a defensive play here and doesn't allow the puck or Braden Shen to just go right past him. It's also a three, three game. He, you can make the case. He cost us a point. Patrick Nemeth was not good. And I don't want to make this sound like he was good, but he is a substantial upgrade over Curtis McDermott. Nemeth at least sometimes did something. He would make mistakes. Absolutely. But he got a three-year contract from the Rangers after that playoff for a reason. He does something. Curtis McDermott doesn't. He does nothing. He is atrocious. And I am very like I, I was my buddy who sits next to me at the game. We we were just laugh every time he he made a pass. It was like, good job, Curtis. Good job, man. You did it. Like, congrats, man. And you shouldn't be saying that about a defenseman because he's a liability every time he's out there and he makes who's ever he playing with look really bad. I think he played with Ryan Murray a majority of the time. And Ryan Murray got put in a lot of unfavorable situations because of Curtis McDermott. Yeah. So I, I am, I'm, that's probably my biggest takeaway from the game is we learned that Curtis McDermott should not be playing on this team anymore. And if that's the one thing that we get a takeaway from this game, I consider that a win. Yeah. We, we now know that Curtis McDermott can't play. We, we pretty much already knew it coming in, but now we know for certain that Curtis McDermott should not be playing in the NHL. It was a mistake to trade a draft pick for him. It was a re, it was a reactionary decision to a thing that didn't really happen. We didn't lose to Vegas because we got out physical. We bought, we bought into the, the Vegas hype and we got intimidated by their momentum and it wasn't because they threw their body around and started hitting us. The abs are not a soft team. I never understood no. this. We're not a soft team. Gabe Landeskog is our captain and he's suspended for two games because he's not afraid to go down and make the, the questionable plays. He's not afraid to throw the body around. McKinnon is a, a psychopath who is not afraid to defend himself. And Bo Byram is an underrated guy who is not afraid of anybody. This team is not soft. Miko Rantanen's also not afraid to defend himself. I, this team is per, it's plenty of times last year. You saw the top line defending themselves in scrums. McKinnon threw a helmet at what was it? Connor Garland, Connor Garland. last year, then got a, a fine. Like that's not the actions of a soft hockey team. Like, yeah, you know what? It doesn't hurt to have a little more muscle on the team and a depth role, but is Curtis McDermott really the best option for that? Absolutely not. No, he's not. And like you said, with the physical part, you had back Eric Johnson too, who he's not afraid to stick up for his teammates. He, and he's he, not. And we were missing him. So therefore yeah. by getting him back, we're adding that muscle that we were supposedly missing. Yeah. I thought 
Another thing, just with the trend, I thought EJ looked really good last night. He's been great through these first. I thought I I thought he played. I thought he played really well. I mean, he rang that one off the post in the second period. Um, But yeah, I I I thought Eric Johnson played really really well last night. But that's the thing is this team is physical enough. You don't need a Curtis McDermott in the lineup. You just don't. You don't need him. And I am just going to pray to the hockey gods that we do not see Curtis McDermott back in an ab sweater. Yeah. And just, it can't happen. It just to put it as simple as possible. We got our answer. It's worse than we could have expected. This guy cannot play in the league and we're better off just not bothering anymore. Cause we're, this team is capable of keeping the flies off quote unquote, that which is what they said about McDermott when they got, we're plenty capable of keeping the flies off of ourselves without McDermott off the ice. Because one thing I don't, I, I don't think I mentioned this already, but in the second period, by the time the blues made it three to nothing, the shots on goal at that point were 12 to three for the avalanche. Yeah. And they played good. Yeah. And if you think about it, they, they really played because uh, Macho got hurt and McDermott played 10 minutes. You played last night's game with 10 forwards and five defensemen. And you competed with supposedly a team that's going to be a playoff team. Yeah. So that's the positive out of this. The negatives is that just Curtis McDermott's terrible. Like he is so bad. And I, I, I just, I, we could talk about him for an hour and I just end up saying the same thing about how he's terrible but uh, it feels good to get that off my chest. So yeah. thank you for letting me do that. Yeah. So I think, I think we've said our piece on Curtis McDermott. Hopefully that's the last time we have to talk about him on this show. But yeah, like we were saying, this was, this was a valiant effort from the team last night. And I don't want our negativity that towards McDermott and some of the other things we talked about so far for us to come off as we're disappointed in the team. Cause we're not, this was a valiant effort. They deserve to get a point out of this one. It was taken out of their hands by league officiating. Jordan Bennington was outstanding for a strong portion of this game. And we also should bring up that Jason Megna was sixth on on the team in ice time, or at least among forwards, sixth among forwards in ice time. A guy who normally is not playing in the NHL without significant injuries, which we have, and he is sixth in ice time. And you can argue that the avalanche played better than the blues, as you were saying, after the, the first period, we had control to play for the most part. We had the McDermott catastrophe that led to a goal. We had the, the David Perron shot, which you can argue Kemper should have, or should have not had, you know, semantics doesn't really matter. Two of the three blues shots went in the avalanche. were still playing really well. And with this incredibly shorthanded team, it's hard to not feel like last night was somewhat of a moral victory still in a way. I mean, especially with the comeback at the end kind of solidifies that, you know, you had the four to one goal from Perron, which should Kemper have had it, was it a perfect shot? We could go on for days about it, but we get those two goals to make it a one goal game, greasy goals from guys who don't score a ton, Tyson Jost and JT Comfer, who we specifically have put some pressure on as guys who need to show up and, we talked already about it, but the the fourth goal, which should have been a goal, should have tied this game. And even after everything we just talked about, being shorthanded, Curtis McDermott letting up that goal, Kemper should have made an extra save or two. Even after all of that, we walked away from this game angry that we were robbed of a point for circumstances outside of our control. Ultimately, it's hard not to feel at least a little good. 
Yeah, I think we've been negative enough. I, I agree with you. It's it it was awesome to see the team not quit because they easily that's the, just that's what I was looking for. Yeah. They could have packed it in after that Perron goal. It was 4-1. Everyone in the arena – yeah, I packed it in. Everyone in the arena was starting to leave, and they just didn't quit. I mean, you pull your goalie with five minutes left, you get a goal, you get another one, and then you get a fourth, and it obviously didn't count. But that's – there's no such thing as a moral victory, but I think that's going to give this team some confidence heading into Tuesday knowing that, hey, we just competed – with 15 players on the ice and almost won a game. So, and this team's only going to get better as we start going here. So if we're looking for the positive spin, I think JT Comfer and Tyson Joe scoring goals is going to be huge for their confidence, especially a Comfer. Um, you add, I think Kadri, did he have one or two points last night? Kadri, I believe had one. I'm not Entirely sure about I'm, that. Nazem Kadri had two assists. Yeah, he's been he's been awesome so far this year, um, which is an encouraging sign. And Berkey got his first goal of the year too. So, yeah. pretty goal is, for Burakovsky, was, by the way. Yeah, Burakovsky. He's scoring he's a beautiful 30. man. He's a beautiful man, and he only scores beautiful goals. We know this. Like this is it's death taxes. Andre Burakovsky scoring beautiful goals. Um, so there are some really encouraging signs. And you hopefully get back McKinnon later in the week. You add back in a Devon Taves. You add back in Landeskog after um, Tuesday's game. And this team's starting to get a little bit better. Um, the one thing I was concerned, I, I don't know if you saw anything about this, Bo Byram looked like he got dinged up at the end of the game. Um, he took a hard hit. I haven't seen anything about him. But he took a really hard hit near the end of the game, and he kind of labored his way off. I haven't seen anything, but it was it was a gnarly hit he took in the quarter, and he definitely came off the ice slow. Yeah, so I'm I mean, hoping we haven't seen we haven't seen any updates about. But we got a whole batch of updates about people, and none of them were Byram. So, so I take that as good. That's, maybe that's a positive. We don't have to have another sacrifice to the hockey gods again for this godforsaken curse that we're under. But yeah, I I think you're completely right. I mean. We should also stress that this was game two of 82 on the season. There are 80 games left. The Avalanche are one and one. This result where regardless of if we should have gotten a point out of it or should have won in overtime or not, ultimately by the end of the season is not going to mean anything. If anything, if I can take away something from the Blues is that I wasn't that impressed by their performance against a very shorthanded Avs team. And when we have this rematch in St. Louis in a couple of weeks, if the abs are healthy, they should kick them up and down the ice. So I don't think the blues are going to be competing with us at the top. And this is not going to be a result that screws us that we're going to miss out on the top of the division by a point or something like that. We have so much, so much more time in the season that in a, in a week or so, we're going to forget about this and it sucks in the moment. It sucks after the game. Like I bet for you leaving the arena, you got the steam coming out of your ears. Like, damn it. We should have had that one. It'd be stolen from us. But again, it doesn't matter all that much when this team is healthy, they're going to kick ass. Hopefully we get to that point ever where we're healthy. Cause it just seems like we never are. But once we get to that point where we have our stars back, even if we are dealing with injuries, this team is going to kick ass and I'm not concerned really about anything coming out of this game. Hopefully Kemper can play a little better over the next little stretch way too early to be concerned about anything with him. 
And even if, even if there was, I would chalk it up to adjusting to a new team. So we come out of this game sucks, but could have been worse. Still, we could have gotten completely destroyed. It was a close game with an empty netter that made it a two goal game. Yeah. I, I think if me and you didn't have to do this podcast, we wouldn't be talking about this game as much as we are because yeah. you're right. It, it's the second game of the year. I think it clearly showed that we're, the blues are not going to be a threat to us in the division um, because we almost beat them with an AHL lineup out there. Um, so it's, it's the second game of the year. We did learn some things. We know that Curtis McDermott should not be in the lineup ever again. Um, we learned that Miko Rantanen is badass as shit. He's really good. Kadri looks like he's back to his old form from two years ago, which is amazing to see. Amazing to see. And JT Comfer has shown signs of life, which is what we needed from him. Um, so Tuesday's game is going to be – it's going to be a tough one. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The Capitals are a good hockey team. And Alex Ovechkin looks like he's on his way to winning another Rocket Richard, Rocket Richard trophy. Um, it's going to be a tough game. But I think if they play like they did in the last half of the game, they're going to have a chance. And that's really all you can ask for with this lineup is that you have a chance. Hey, everybody. Hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. Interrupting to bring you a word from our sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. NFL fans, are you hungry for a big win this week? I hope you are because DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. It's really just that simple. And if DraftKings Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, don't worry because DraftKings is not going to leave you empty-handed because everybody can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings daily fantasy sports contests. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with just their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the Capitals game, it's going to be their first game against an Eastern Conference team since the the day before the league shut down in March 2020 when they beat the Rangers in overtime. That was the, literally the day before the, the league got shut down from what I remember. So this is going to be their first time not even just going out East, playing an Eastern Conference team since then. It's been well over a year and a half at this point. So that alone is going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, this Capitals team, they beat up on the Rangers 5-1, to one. Uh, Ovechkin played really well against Tampa Bay. I don't know if you saw it. Looked like he should have had two goals. It was a centimeter away from his second goal of the game that ultimately got ruled no goal right after he scored his first one that would have won them the game because Tampa only scored one in the third. But 
They got it to overtime against the defending champs who seemingly Vasilevsky found his groove in that game. And it's going to be interesting because this Caps team has some chemistry that's firing right now. And even with they're dealing with some injuries of their own with Backstrom, you can argue if the Avalanche don't have McKinnon and don't have Landeskog that we're going to have another uphill battle for us again, because really the only addition that we're going to be making from the blues game is going to be Jack Johnson. And we'll see how well that goes, but it takes Curtis McDermott out of the lineup. Oh and... no, he'll probably play forward, man. He'll probably play forward. I know. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry to burst your bubble. I, I know this is a podcast and no one could see me, but you could physically just see my, my shoulders drop and my, my smile just immediately go off my face when I heard that. But it's going to be another uphill battle. It's going to be our first road game of the year. We're not going to have our own crowd to feed off of, and it's going to be another test for this, this depth. But there was one thing that came out during this game that – really had nothing to do with this game that I found pretty interesting. Elliot Friedman during the, the intermission of one of the, the Canadian games, I believe Toronto, Ottawa reported about the Jack Eichel situation that one of the, the holdups with the Jack Eichel trade that had, we've been teasing for months and months and months, but still hasn't happened even as the season gets underway is that one of the obstacles for teams is that Buffalo is not willing to retain salary on Jack Eichel. And I'm still not entirely sure on the clarification of this, but also seems like they're not that willing to take on salary in return. I'm not 100% sure on that. But why that is interesting is because he listed Colorado as one of the teams that talked to Buffalo about Jack Eichel and was looking potentially to make a trade for him. But once they learned Buffalo was not willing to retain any salary and potentially, because again, I'm not hundred percent sure on the clarification of this, not willing to take on a lot of salary in return talks ultimately fell apart. But Christian, I found this interesting because I never really considered the avalanche to be in on the Jack Eichel sweepstakes at all, let alone the fact that, oh, the talks only broke off because of the, the salary issues, which is unsurprising because we're kind of right up against it with the salary cap. But the fact that Joe Sackick was exploring this at all, I find quite interesting. So what do you think Joe Sackick would have been willing to, to do here if this was going to work? What would a, a package for Jack Eichel have looked like? I think it would have had to have been – I don't think they would have moved Byram. I think they're too high on Byram. I think it would have been a Justin Barron, Alex Newhook, and then maybe an Oscar Olison, and a probably like a Shane Bowers type trade because it sounds like Buffalo is just trying to get as many prospects as they can, um, which rightfully so. The Sabres, hey, first place team in the league right now. We, we, we got to remember to mention are that. 2-0. Oh, they beat up on, the, and oh. on the, the Habs and – the game I was looking forward to, the Sabres and the Coyotes, was a two-to-one shootout. Just so unbelievably awful, and I loved it. It was a fantastic game. But that's what I think, realistically, you'd have to give up. And if I, if you're telling me I give up a Baron, a Newhook, an Olison, and a Bowers for Jack Eichel for – I think we said he has four or five years left on his contract. Yeah, five years at five years at $10 million per. He would immediately become the highest cap hit on the avalanche, overtaking Miko Rantanen by 750000 
if you're telling me I get him and my core four is McKinnon, Eichel, Landeskog, and Miko Rantanen, oh, and don't forget Kale McCarr in there too, uh, I would take that in a heartbeat. Now, the odds of it actually happening, um, like Friedman said, it, it fell apart. So it, it really is just wondering. But if you're telling me I could have McKinnon and Eichel as my one-two punch at center and I can move Kadri down to third-line center, um, yeah, I don't know if there's many teams that can stop that. I I, I just don't. I, I don't know if there's many teams that can stop it. And I think that's why Sakic was involved in those talks because that would have been – the all in move, like all chips are on the table. This team has a four year window to win Stanley cups. That's what it would have been. And I love Joe Sackett that he even was interested in it. Um, I'm kind of bummed it didn't happen because the more and more I talk about it, the more and more I kind of fall in love with it. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but the, the potential of that would have been just disgusting. Like that, I would have been, I would have bought an Eichel jersey two minutes after it dropped. Like it would have been awesome, but sadly it doesn't sound like it's going to happen. But what, what do you think we would have had to give up to get him? Uh, the interesting thing around this whole situation is Jack Eichel's health because he still hasn't gotten that surgery because I don't know if we've talked about it on this show. Buffalo is just refusing to let him get the surgery that he wants. And Basically what the situation is, and I'll, I'll get to what I would give up for him in a second, but the situation is Jack Eichel wants a, a disc replacement surgery, a spinal disc replacement surgery, which would put an artificial disc, I think like in his lower neck that like around that connecting point between the neck and spine and would ultimately be a lot more comfortable for him in his life. And the Sabres want him to get a spinal fusion surgery to attach the two discs, I would go. I'm not a doctor. I don't know what I'm talking about. But ultimately, the, the Sabres are hung up because no NHL player has ever gotten an artificial disc in their back before. It has been done on other professional athletes in uh, the UFC and in the NFL, which are arguably more intense contact sports than hockey, you know, maybe a little bit, but They've refused to let him do that. So Eichel, if he was traded right now and got the surgery today, he would be out, what was it, eight, eight weeks? weeks. Yeah, eight eight weeks. weeks. Yeah. And he'd be out eight weeks at minimum, and then probably another week or two to get up to, to speed and shape and just get used to, to everything again. So we probably wouldn't be seeing him if we made this trade like right now, probably until around the I'm bad. I'm not, I'm bad at math in my head, but would it be like around like the Olympic break or something like that? Yeah. So probably after that. You factor that in. And, all, and also the fact that Buffalo is not, didn't allow other teams to see this medical information until it was like forced upon them that they had to, because they were holding up the situation for so long, but getting back to what you were asking, what would I give up in a Jack Eichel trade? Uh, Bo Byram is off limits for me. That is agreed where I draw the line, you don't give up Bo Byram. That is one of the big core pieces of your defense. And if, if that's a deal breaker for Buffalo, I mean, sucks to suck, I guess. I'm not giving up Bo Byram. And after that, I it would have to probably start with Justin Barron and Alex Newhook just as a, as a beginner. 
And like you were saying, oh, Lawson, I don't know how we would escape without giving up him in that trade. And we'd probably also be looking at our next two firsts, at least maybe a third one as well, maybe two firsts and some second rounders trickled in there. But I mean, with Jack Eichel on the freaking Colorado avalanche, those are all going to be late round picks. So I don't know how interested Buffalo would be in them, but as an overall package, like I said, it would have to start with Baron and Newhook. You're probably, like you said, going to have to put in Olausen, probably also someone like John Luke Foodie as well. Because I think Buffalo would be more interested in a guy like Foodie who has that potential to be in the NHL, other than a guy like Cout or Bowers who have the potential to be like bottom six bottom. guys yeah. at best. So maybe you put Foodie in there as well. And even then, I mean, it's a lot to give up, but does Buffalo say yes to that? I don't know. But like we were saying, the reason this didn't happen is because of salary. So there would have to be more that goes into this trade. Would that be Eric Johnson and his $6 million? I don't know if Buffalo would want that, nor do I think truthfully would we want to give up Eric Johnson. Maybe nope. in the offseason we would have considered it, but seeing how important he is right now, I wouldn't. Like, would it have to be Comfer and his 3.5? Maybe. I mean, the Avalanche, they just don't have bad money on this team. I mean, you can argue the worst is Eric Johnson, and he's not – again, we talked about it. He's not bad money. No, he's not bad money. So I, I think if the, if this hypothetical trade were to happen, it would have to – there'd have to be a third team in to facilitate that the Avs could salary dump. It'd have to be a team with a ton of cap space who's just looking to get some sweeteners in the deal. And that makes the deal even more expensive because you're going to have to give up more prospects to that team that is eating up salary money for you. So it's this trade would really tear down our prospect system, um, but it'd be an all-in move from Joe Sackick. It would be all-in because there's no excuses for them not to win the Cup. This would by far be our most talented team since probably 2003, I, I would Korea. argue that this would be the most talented team in franchise history with Jack Eichel. You have two top, I mean, Jack Eichel, we haven't seen him in a long time. I'd argue at his best, he's a top 10 player in the league. And you add yeah. him as a number two center behind Nathan McKinnon. It's cheating. You know, you can, does that rival McDavid Dreisaitl? Maybe it puts them I don't very, know very point, it puts them very very close yeah i don't know if the point production would match up because mcdavid yeah. and drysidle are disgusting human beings but it would be top two without a doubt without yeah. a doubt not even and close it's i mean and this is a fun hypothetical to look at but let's be real there's a reason this didn't happen didn't isn't going to happen especially now is not going to happen maybe this had a small chance in july but this it's just not going to work. I mean, our salary cap right now is uh, $23,000 right now. Ooh. We, yeah. Oh. I mean, more money than I have, but yeah. uh, you can't really do anything with that at the moment. And that's why we sent down Alex Newhook because of salary cap reasons. He makes what? 905. Something like that. Not yeah. a lot. Newhook makes 908 actually which is slightly less than Ranta, but more than other guys, which allowed them to call up more people. But yeah, it's, it's a really, really interesting idea. Um, 
it makes your mind wander because I would have loved to see Jack Eichel on this team. But at the end of the day, I still personally think he's going to end up on the Rangers. That's just my bet. Where I, I think, think he's Eichel going to Anaheim, up. honestly. You think Anaheim? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Anaheim would be interesting too. Um, but it was it's a cool hypothetical. I mean, it's still I still think the Avs are if there's one position that the Avs could give up prospects, it's the defensemen because we are loaded with defensemen prospects. Um, Barron's a blue chip prospect. After Barron, I mean, I, it gets a little iffy. Gets a gets a little iffy. The fact that we have a, Barron behind Byram is stacked alone. Yeah, it, it's by far our. Yeah, I wouldn't say by far. I'd say it's our deepest position on our team. Um, so if any trade's going to happen over the year for a big time player, I think Justin Barron sadly is going to be a part of that. Um, and we don't have a first to trade, so if we, we don't, if we, are, if we are going to make some kind of upgrade at the deadline, depending on the kind of player it is, ah, that's a, that's a tough one though. Justin Barron's going to be really good. The, He's going to be really if good. You're, if, I don't you're, disagree if you're with trading you. Barron at the deadline, the guy you're bringing in better be really good. And, and he better not be a rental. You can't get a rental player. Coming out of my mouth, he better not be expiring at the end of the year. Yeah, because that's just way too big of a risk because the odds are that we are not going to be able to resign him because our salary cap situation. Now, I do think the salary cap's going to go up in the next couple of years when that new TV money hits. Yeah, there's get, but, there's a $1 million increase for the next couple of years until it takes like a big jump four to five years from now from, yeah. from what I remember Bill Daly saying. So that TV money is going to come in and help, but it needs to be a player that you at least, you got to at least have two years left on your contract, at least. Mm-hmm. And I love the player that is being talked about the most is Thomas Hurdle of the San Jose mm-hmm. Sharks. But he, he's an expiring contract. He's going yeah, to that's leave. That's a rental, and that's a guy that's going to cost a lot of money. He, I, mean, he's good. I wouldn't be opposed to a hurdle trade whatsoever, but Baron for hurdle? For I mean, one year, you wouldn't even get one year of hurdle. You'd get half a season with get him. Half a se- and then he'd have to go because he's going to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's man, we're, we'll, I'm sure we'll be able to milk a couple uh, episodes out of that topic alone over the the coming months before the trade deadline, but the, the Eichel thing definitely caught my attention. Cause like we were saying, I didn't really consider the avalanche to be in on this at all during this whole, you thing. hadn't heard about it at all yeah. until, until last night, yeah. you hadn't heard about it. And that's just how Joe Sackett works. He just works in mysterious ways. And then all of a sudden the abs are right in the thick of it for a trade. So yeah, I, I, I would love to see it, but I'm, I'm kind of glad that it didn't happen because it would have cost a lot. And I think what plagued this team, granted we did win two Stanley cups in 1996 and 2001, seven straight conference finals appearance. We had a good 15 years where we sucked because we had no prospects to come in and fill that void after all those players got old and retired. Yeah. And just, I just have no idea how we would have been able to, to make that work. Cause we're look, I mean, look at the guys we're talking about giving up here, Baron new hook. It's even someone like Ranta and Olausen. like we're talking and we don't have, again, we don't have our first or second round pick this year. So we're not replenishing that anytime soon. So you can make an argument. It might just be more important to have depth at those positions than to just load up at your top two centers. Cause this avalanche team is, perfectly capable of winning a Stanley cup without Jack Eichel. 
And, you know, you can argue they should improve this and then should improve that. But Jack Eichel is, uh, that is a bold move to say the least, if we were able to pull that off, but there is a reason it didn't happen because it was borderline impossible. So fun little hypothetical to look as at. As long as he doesn't go to Vegas, I'm fine. I could get I two shits where he goes. I hate that that's a possibility and I yeah. hate that it's real. How do yeah. they have this money? Where does it come I don't, from? I don't know. As long as he doesn't go there, I'm fine with wherever he could go. Uh, well, I'll take that back. As long as he doesn't go to the Knights or the Wild, I'm okay with wherever he goes. And the I most could give two shits. The most ridiculous part is that Vegas is more realistic than Minnesota because they've been in on this conversation the entire time, and I don't know how. And we're talking about like, oh, Cody, no, not Cody Glass. Uh, they traded him. What's the 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 new guy's name? Krebs, Peyton Krebs. Yeah, going to be a part of that trade. Like the what I saw something months ago. I cannot for the life of me remember. The rumored package was like Krebs and a couple other things. And Vegas thought it was too rich for them it is ridiculous. And they might get them. And that's going to drive me crazy. I mean, Vegas, I mean, we were, we were talking about our injury. What was earlier? Uh, Patch Reddy's going to be out for six weeks and stone is up in the air at this point. So stone's injury looked really bad. That, I was that watching that game live. It looked bad and it looked like nothing happened. It looked like a non-contact injury. Um, Man, those are scary, but that makes me even more nervous that they're going to make that move for him now. That makes me more nervous that they can go get an Eichel because they realize like, oh shit, we need to get this guy, even though he's not going to play for 10 weeks. Like we need to get him because we just don't know when we're going to get Pacioretty and Stone back. So if he goes to, I'd be okay with Anaheim. Anaheim's fine. New York Rangers, totally fine. Just don't go to the Wild or the Knights, please. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. That's all I'm asking, hockey gods. Just any of those two teams. Yeah, and it's I, just I can't believe we're still talking about it. like this should have been done months ago. Like this, like just to wrap up this conversation real quick. This this is like a borderline human rights violation. What the Sabers have done to Jack Eichel over the last couple months, not allowing him to get the surgery that he wants. And I understand that they're protected by the CBA, but that does not make them morally right. So, and the fact that they have made trading him such a hassle, and that they have prevented teams from seeing that medical information so that they can make a proper assessment on him and teams that would allow him to get that surgery. And I just, I just don't understand the Sabres perspective here other than we are in charge and we are going to use our power just because we can, it just, does, just it, it doesn't make any sense because they could have solved this months ago. You just answered your own question though. It, it's the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, like it's the Sabres. That, that, that's all you need to say is it's the Sabres because they are a dumpster fire of an organization and they will continue to be a dumpster fire of the organization because this is not, if I'm a free agent, why the hell would I want to go to Buffalo Yeah. after this? That's why, that's why no one signed there this off season. Like no one wants to. And I, I feel bad for Jack Eichel. I think at the beginning he was kind of being pa- painted as the bad guy, but as more time passes, it's very clear. He's not the bad guy. Like, oh. He's, he's it's just the a savers. guy that wants to be able to live comfortably. Like I don't want surgery every 10 years because you are demanding. I get this surgery. I have done my own research. I want this surgery so that I can live the rest of my life. This is my career. We're talking about here. And I know I said, we'll wrap this up. But my one last thought on this is that we are 
more likely than not, this trade is not going to happen for at least a couple months, if not till the end of the season. And we're going to be robbed of a prime year of Jack Eichel, and he's not going to be able to go to the Olympics. That is a crime. USA needs him. <laughs> yeah, we need him bad. Need him bad. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I agree with you, man. It, it's kind of a sad situation. I hope the NHL steps in soon. I've been hearing some things that they're talking about stepping in and kind of help and facilitate that because it's, it's they not good. To. They need it's not good. To. It's ugly. It's not, good. it's not, so. a, it's just not a good look for the league, but fun little hypothetical as for what the avalanche could have done a couple months ago in this situation, not to get your hopes up that this is going to happen because it's not going to happen at all. So we're well past this. We're moving on. We've got a game against the Washington Capitals on Tuesday, and we will be back on Thursday ahead of their game against the Florida Panthers. We'll talk about how the game goes against the Caps. Hopefully it goes better than the one against the Blues, but we're, it's going to be an uphill battle nonetheless against a, a tough Caps team and our first road game of the year and our first game against an Eastern Conference team in a long time. What's your prediction for the game, Griffin? It's it's a tough one because I, I was saying this before we started with you. I was, it might be the first time I've been in a position like this where I just I want both teams to go to overtime and get a point. So I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll dig into my bias well here and say that the the Caps edge them in a, in an overtime just with the discrepancy between injuries and such. But I think I think Berkey's going to get some revenge in this one, like he did the last time these two teams played in Colorado. But it's going to be, I think it's going to be a fun game. I think the, the shock of being without their stars, like it was against the blues is going to be worn off and there's going to be a bit more structure for this one. I mean, it, it worked for the most part against the blues. We just didn't get the mm -hmm. result and the caps, they again, dominated the Rangers couldn't really score against Tampa Bay and we'll see how they match up against a depleted abs team. But I think this is going to be a three, two, past regulation win for Washington and the abs get the point, go to one, one, and one. I am going to show my bias and I'm going to say the abs win three, two in overtime. I'll flip it on you. We got, I'm going right. to show my so, bias. Though. So no matter, so no matter <laughs> what we win, no matter, honestly, I'd be perfectly happy with mm -hmm. either result. I mean, I'm root. I kind of have to root for the abs here and I'd be happy to see them win. I've I mean. I went to, I've seen one abs win before in my life. That was the last time they played in Washington, the, the, the Braden Holtby four goals on four shots game and the avalanche won that one, five to three, I believe. So avalanche batting a thousand with me at the game. So we'll see how that goes in the future. Awesome. Yeah, man, it's gonna be a fun game. And then uh, head on down to Florida to face two, uh, two really good Florida teams. So. It's going to be a fun week of Avs hockey, and uh, we'll have it all covered for you here on the uh, Teledabs It Is podcast. Yep, and that is going to do it for this edition of the Teledabs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, if you guys want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow the show at Teledabs It Is. You can follow me at G Young's NHL, and you can follow Christian at Christian underscore Bole, spelled B-O-L-L-E. And if you want to follow Denver Nosebleed, it is just at Denver Nosebleed. So we will be back on Thursday morning with everything that happened in this Caps game, all the updates that could be happening with the injuries over the next couple of days and looking ahead to our first Florida road trip 
in a long time. Christian, you got anything before we wrap up? I got nothing. Congrats to our first uh, Jersey giveaway winner. Um, we're going to be doing a couple more of those here later on in the future. So make sure you're following us on Twitter for updates. Yep, absolutely. So that's going to wrap up for this edition of the Teledavis podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in as always. And we will catch you all next time. Enjoy the rest of your week.